Thank you for joining me for today's Beast Watch News Update. News from the Internet's most comprehensive Bible prophecy news website, BeastWatchNews.com. I'm Kimberly Rogers Brown. Russia and NATO are in the midst of military muscle flexing exercises this week. Iran has the U.S. bracing for retaliation over the oil embargo set to go into effect on November 5th. And President Trump is about to make the same mistake that Prime Minister Netanyahu made regarding migrant citizenship. But first, let's take a look at how Israel is bowing to Hamas. The Hamas terrorist organization has upped its demands for a ceasefire with Israel by asking Qatar to give it $15 million dollars on a monthly basis in order to pay Gaza's employees. Hamas head Yahya Sinwar told Egyptian intermediaries that he will escalate the weekly border riots if the money is not transferred. We are going to find out that extortion does work, especially with the Israeli government. When threatened, they just pay up. Dozens of Hamas rockets have flown across Gaza's border this week. People have been injured. The IDF has threatened Hamas, saying the organization bears responsibility and there will be consequences. The world awaits with bated breath. Then, Israel agreed to allow Qatar to transfer funds, the $15 million dollars, to the Hamas government in the Gaza Strip to pay the salaries of its civil servants. A senior Israeli diplomat said that Israel wants to prevent a humanitarian collapse in Gaza that could explode in Israel's face. Qatari associations have also launched a relief campaign called Gaza Deserves a Better Life. Before this latest campaign, Cotter had offered $60 million dollars to buy the necessary fuel to operate Gaza's only power station in cooperation with Israel. The PA expressed anger over the Qatari aid because it did not go through PA coffers for dispersal. Hamas has for many years demanded that the Palestinian Authority pay the salaries of public sector workers whom Hamas hired since it took control of the Strip in 2007. But Ramallah insists that it must first be given full control of all government activities in Gaza, including tax collections and payments. PA President Mahmoud Abbas has used the salary payment issue as a punitive measure against Hamas for establishing an independent administrative council for Gaza. Abbas has been making it difficult to improve the humanitarian situation in Gaza by opposing, for example, the entry of fuel trucks financed by Qatar. President Donald Trump's recent aid reduction to the Palestinian Authority, along with Israel's move to pay Hamas directly, is more than merely seeking to help Gazan Palestinians in need. It is a political ploy, a takeaway in Trump's peace deal negotiations. 
Gaza's finance ministry has prepared the list of officials who will receive the payments as requested by the Qataris. It is still unknown whether security officials in the police and the security forces will also receive their salaries from the Qatari money. Israel says it is not adopting a policy of restraint against Hamas and Israeli officials say they are still planning their next moves. Iran is behind the continued Hamas violence against Israel. Hamas is Iran's patsy. Iran uses Hamas to fight its proxy war against Israel, making Israel and any of Israel's allies pay a price is a way to subjugate and shame Israel and the West. An internal power struggle between Hamas and Islamic Jihad may be the reason for the recent uptick in attacks from Gaza. The fighting between Gaza and Israel last Friday and Saturday was led by the Islamic Jihad under orders from Iran who is using the power struggle between Islamic Jihad and Hamas over credit for the protests along the Gaza-Israel border fence as well as the benefits that will come from an anticipated agreement with Israel. Islamic Jihad has taken a significant leadership role in the weekly protests near the border fence between the Gaza Strip and Israel, and its people believe the movement has the right to reap some of the expected benefits from the agreement, including money for salary payments and for infrastructure development. This has led to tensions between the Islamic Jihad and Hamas, resulting in the Islamic Jihad firing rockets at Israel. Iran wants Gaza residents to see it as an ally that stood by them in recent months and that Iran is responsible for the improvement in their situation. Tehran also wants to prevent peace mediators Egypt, Qatar, and the UN from receiving any credit. To this end, Iran pays about $100 million a year to Gaza organizations and families of Palestinians killed and wounded in the protests. Hamas has made arrests and came down hard on smaller factions within Gaza, but it has a problem when it comes to the Islamic Jihad. The latter is the second largest group in the Strip and is very influential. Hence, and because of the Islamic Jihad's close relationship with the Quds Force and with Hezbollah, Hamas treads carefully even after the Islamic Jihad fires rockets. Hamas did demand, however, that the Islamic Jihad ceases hostilities and promised that it will receive some of the money that will come into the Strip as a result of an agreement with Israel. Israeli security officials believe that the Iranian Revolutionary Guards Quds Force in Syria did not tell the Islamic Jihad when exactly to fire the rockets. Nevertheless, the organization coordinates with Iran, which supports it financially. Hamas wants the payments from Israel to show Islamic Jihad that it is in control. There is a power struggle between Hamas and Islamic Jihad over their relationship with Iran. 
Last summer I reported DNA studies showing the physical ancestry of the Palestinians in Israel. 61% of Palestinians have Hebrew DNA from ancient Israel. Another 16% are Hebrews of Edomite descent. It may be difficult to understand this, but Edomites are Hebrews. Esau was born of Isaac, and Isaac was the son of promise. Esau rejected his heritage. Spiritually, he is not a Hebrew, but physically he is, and it is this physicality that drives the Edomites in the end of days. Esau's spirit believes in Esau, not Yahweh, and his flesh pursues Jacob all over the earth. On record, I despise the way the Palestinians treat Israel. Part of this is, as I have said repeatedly, the struggle between the two houses of Judah and Israel from 2,900 years ago. But the monkey wrench and additional contributing factor is the Edomite spirit. I believe that most of the troublemakers in Gaza and in the West Bank are Edomites. Their DNA sins of their fathers drives them towards hatred of the Jews and all Israel, including the Jews and the still exiled house of Israel. Iran is modern Persia. The Persians are full of Edomites. Some of the kings from thousands of years ago, even before the formation of the kingdom of Israel, are known to have been kings in the area that would become Persia and later Iran. From their behavior, these are Amalekites. In fact, Haman was a Persian Amalekite. His ancestor was King Agog, who was a descendant of Amalek. Iran is riddled with Amalekites. Their DNA recognizes the DNA in the Edomites of Gaza and the West Bank. They fight with each other as they fight against Israel. This kind of chaos is what will characterize the Great Tribulation, only multiplied. Leave it to the people with this kind of insidious hatred of Jacob to come up with the idea of burning kites. And now these malevolent people have created a new way to cause trouble in Israel with balloon bombs. Kites and balloons don't cost a lot and are very effective in creating havoc in Israel. The money the Gazans will get from Iran and Qatar may make a lot of kite and balloon manufacturers happy. Yet, Israel no longer wants to topple the Hamas regime. Instead, it believes that it will be possible to reach an agreement with a weakened and deterred Hamas that will bring quiet to the south. Still, the security establishment's main concern is that this might lead to a further decline in the humanitarian situation in Gaza in case the PA stops sending hundreds of millions of dollars a month to the Strip. Who can understand the government of Israel? 
There needs to be a full-scale war against Gaza until all Hamas and Islamic Jihad are dead. Then Israel needs to annex the Strip and make the surviving people full Israeli citizens. When will Israel learn that land for peace does not work? When will they figure out that letting an Edomite live doesn't work either? The Palestinians don't only fight Israel, they fight each other. The New York Times reports that after a two-year investigation and nearly 100 interviews with detainees, Human Rights Watch released a report last week documenting the Palestinian leadership's gross violation of its people's human rights. Both Hamas, which rules Gaza, and the Palestinian Authority, which governs in the West Bank, are implicated. The two groups conduct arbitrary arrests for offenses as ludicrous as critical Facebook posts and regularly torture detainees. Titled, Two Authorities, One Way, Zero Dissent, the report details cases of horrific violence and repression. Hamas kept Faou Jarada, a journalist accused of harming revolutionary unity, in a notorious room called The Bus for a month, forcing him to stand blindfolded on a small child's chair days at a time and whipping him with a cable. In the West Bank, detainees tell of being punched, kicked, beaten with batons, slammed against walls, and electrically shocked until they confess. Both Palestinian organizations say they reject torture and consider the incidents Human Rights Watch compiled to be isolated cases that are investigated when brought to the attention of authorities who hold perpetrators to account. But Human Rights Watch couldn't find a single official in either jurisdiction convicted of mistreating detainees or making arbitrary arrests. The habitual, deliberate, widely known use of torture using similar tactics over years with no action taken by senior officials in either authority to stop these abuses make these practices systematic, the report concludes. They also indicate that torture is governmental policy for both the PA and Hamas. Since this likely constitutes a crime against humanity, Human Rights Watch recommends the International Criminal Court open an investigation. Here is a good place to insert that one, these abuses are already known by the ICC, and two, the ICC goes after Israel, but has left the Palestinian authorities alone. Why? Anti-Semitism. Fatah, the party that controls the Palestinian Authority, may be more moderate than Hamas in its approach to Israel, but it is brutal to Palestinians in the West Bank. The report explains that even when the authority releases detainees, it often refuses to drop charges, leaving behind a pretext for repeated punitive arrests to harass critics into silence. Vaguely worded laws also empower officials to detain Palestinians for calling for free expression on Facebook or reporting on unemployment.
The offenders are then held in custody for weeks for provoking sectarian strife and insulting higher authorities. Similarly, in Gaza, the wrong post on social media can result in persecution for misuse of technology. Edomites kill their own. Edomites kill others. Israel taking full control of these two areas, Gaza and the West Bank, and making the people full citizens of Israel with all the rights and responsibilities of citizenship would free them from this kind of oppression. The world's actions against the Jews for the slightest infraction is anti-Semitism to the core. But what is it when the Jews refuse to extend the proper hand to other physical Hebrews from other tribes whose hearts could be turned to Yahweh? Is that anti-Semitism too? Something to think about. Now back to the article. In January, the Trump administration suspended tens of millions of dollars in aid to authority. But in March, Congress exempted $70 million in security assistance. The report calls on the U.S., Europe, and the United Nations to suspend all funding for the Palestinian Authority's Prevention Security Forces, General Intelligence Services, and Joint Security Committee until the agencies cease arresting critics and torturing detainees. It also asks Iran, Qatar, and Turkey to stop funding Hamas. Good luck with that. No one can accuse Human Rights Watch of anti-Palestinian or pro-Israel bias. For years, the group has disproportionately focused its criticism on Israel, accusing it of war crimes and other violations of international law. The lead author of the Human Rights Watch report, Israel and Palestine director Omar Shakir, has on several occasions accused Israel of practicing apartheid. The group has even raised money off the opposition it attracts from pro-Israel groups. Instead of further demonizing Israel, this report is pro-Palestinian in the best sense. It defends the Palestinian people from their predatory authoritarian leaders. Mahmoud Abbas, president of the Palestinian Authority, was democratically elected in 2005 for a four-year term. He never allowed his people to vote again and still rules almost 14 years later. Abuse and corruption aside, all the Palestinian leadership offers is angry rhetoric, rhetoric rather, or a violence against Israel. Calls by Palestinian officials to safeguard Palestinian rights ring hollow as they crush dissent, said Human Rights Watch's Deputy Program Director Tom Porteous. It has been 25 years since the Oslo Accords instituted some Palestinian self-rule in the West Bank and 13 years since Israel vacated the Gaza Strip. Where Palestinians have autonomy, Mr. Port, they have developed parallel police states. Naturally, Human Rights Watch and other critics castigate Israel 
for failing to give the Palestinians more autonomy. Amid the pressure to create a Palestinian state, the easiest thing to do is to ignore the warning signs that statehood today would result in even more tyranny and bloodshed. And to that last statement, I say, hear, hear. Giving the Edomites more power over their people will only increase their malevolence and oppression. In the midst of all this, Communications Minister Ayub Kara of Israel's Likud party called for peace and security on Tuesday during his visit to the United Arab Emirates. Israel is launching an unprecedented diplomatic push into Sunni-dominated Gulf states in an effort to create allies against Shiite Iran. Peace and safety is the end times mantra being spoken by all who know beyond a shadow of a doubt that a hideous war is coming, yet they call for it in their little shows of diplomacy. All this is done to make themselves feel better and to lull the world's population to sleep. On the upside... Israel's national anthem was played at the judo tournament in Abu Dhabi on Sunday after one of its athletes won gold. This is believed to be the first time the anthem has been played publicly in an Arab Gulf state. While Likud Minister Ayub Kara was calling for peace and safety in Dubai, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was in Oman courting the Arabs there last Friday. Oman publicly called for regional recognition of Israel a day after Netanyahu's historic visit and just prior to the PA's announcement that it will no longer recognize Israel as a state. Netanyahu had traveled to Oman at the invitation of the country's leader, Sultan Saeed Kabuos, bin Saeed al-Saeed, in a development that Washington said could help regional peace efforts. Yasuf bin Alawi bin Abdullah, Oman's minister for foreign affairs, told a security forum, forum rather in Bahrain that Israel is a state present in the region and we all understand this. The world is also aware of this and maybe it is time for Israel to be treated the same as other states and to also bear the same obligations. Oman offered ideas to further peace between Israel and the Palestinians, but said it relies on the United States and efforts by President Donald Trump in working towards the deal of the century. Also this week, as I said, the Palestinian Control Council voted on Monday to suspend its recognition of the state of Israel until Israel recognizes a Palestinian state in the 1967 borders. Another vote in 2015 called for suspending security cooperation. Neither that vote nor the January vote were implemented. Many see a PA reversal on recognition of Israel as the end of the Oslo Accords, the peace agreement reached between Israel and the PLO in 1993. That agreement required that the PLO recognize the state of Israel. The Palestinian Authority has at various times over the years mulled revoking the Oslo Accords. 
The latest move comes as Trump's Middle East envoy Jason Greenblatt will arrive in Israel to push the president's deal of the century peace plan. Now, Iran. Iran has the U.S. bracing for retaliation over the oil embargo set to go into effect on November 5th. The threat was contained in a remark made by Iranian Foreign Minister Mohammad Javad Zarif in which he said, Unfortunately, a law-breaking country seeks to punish a country that abides by the law. This method will have severe consequences for the world order. The threat of consequences to the world order may be translated into such options as Iranian disruption of world oil supplies, a substantial military attack on U.S. or Arab Middle East targets, on Israel, or all of these actions in successive stages. Iran has concentrated large number of Saigay stealth drones in Iraq, and along its Gulf Coast. The Saigay drones are modeled on the advanced U.S. RQ-170 Sentinel captured by Tehran in 2011. Al-Quds Brigade's forces operating in Syria have also been armed with these sophisticated drones. UAVs of different types were given to the Iraqi Shiite militias serving Tehran at home and in Syria, as well as the Lebanese Hezbollah. Stay tuned. I'll be right back after these messages. Thank you for listening to the Jerusalem Report on Beast Watch News. Full news coverage with a Hebraic perspective of the headlines fulfilling Bible prophecy. Remember to financially and prayerfully support Beast Watch News for keeping you up to date. Send your donation to Beast Watch News today. It takes money to operate this ministry, and your help is much appreciated. The Saigay drones have taken over the tasks of the exploding speedboats that, in times past, were used by Revolutionary Guards as primary weapons against Western and Arab oil tanker shipping in the Persian Gulf. The Iranian drone attack on ISIS concentrations in eastern Syria on October 1st appeared to many Western and Middle East military experts to have been a kind of dress rehearsal for the use of this UAV for deadly airstrikes on U.S., Israeli, or Arab targets. Then, 11 of these stealth drones were launched from Iran and flew across the entire width of Iraq to reach their targets without being intercepted or even sighted by U.S., Israeli, or Jordanian forces. The Saigays hit Syrian bases with miniature precision-guided Sadid 345 glide bombs. Then, this Revolutionary Guard's weapon made its debut performance in real combat conditions and returned safely to base. Al-Quds Chief Major General Qasem Soleimani has been placed in charge of all forthcoming Iran's military preparations. Now, let's put this author's secular perspective with Bible prophecy. Iran wants to attack the U.S., Israel, and Jordan, at the very least. Iran also wants Saudi Arabia's cities, Mecca and Medina, Islam's two holiest cities, 
Given Iran's involvement in stirring up the Hamas and Islamic Jihad pot against Israel and the U.S.'s new sanctions going into effect on November 5th, can you see how Gaza and the sanctions could become a two-pronged reason for Iran to attack U.S. forces in Syria and on its military base in Israel's Negev, along with Israel itself? This is the scenario that could trigger the Persians coming into Israel not with but against Gog as the scripture says in Ezekiel 37. Now moving on to Russia. Russia is muscle flexing as the US and NATO are doing their own muscle flexing. The Russian Navy plans to test missiles in international waters off Norway's coast this week at the same time as the Western Military Alliance conducts its largest military exercise since the end of the Cold War. The exercises will happen between November 1st and November 3rd. So, one bully to another. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Eventually, one or the other bully takes the first swing. Russia has a sizable presence in the north and off of Norway. There is nothing dramatic about this. We have noted it and will follow the Russian maneuvers, Norwegian Defense Minister Frank Becca Johnson said. Move along. There's nothing to see here, folks. Russia held large military exercises called Zapad 2017 or West 2017 in September 2017 in its western regions jointly with Belarus, which also borders several NATO countries and last month conducted massive drills across its central and eastern regions. Eh, just look the other way. Okay, now to Trump. With his decision to deploy more than 5,000 troops to the U.S.-Mexico border, President Donald Trump has ordered more military personnel to the U.S. Southwest than he has serving in some of the world's most contentious combat zones. Senior military officers have defended the deployment on national security grounds, but the mission, dubbed Operation Faithful Patriot, raises a slew of questions with former officials from both Republican and Democratic administrations and some veterans condemning it as a political stunt by a president eager to fire up his political base just days away from the midterm elections. A military strained by 17 years of war and sequestration doesn't need this, tweeted David LePan a former Homeland Security spokesman for the Trump administration and a former Marine. Service members who have repeatedly spent long periods of time away from home don't need this, and the U.S. doesn't need its military to defend against a group of unarmed migrants, including many women and kids. Former officials and veterans point to the unknown cost to taxpayers given that much smaller deployments of National Guard to the border have cost hundreds of millions of dollars. 
They also question the cost the military will bear as the operation pulls troops away from training other missions and their families. And then they say there's the murky legality of the mission, its scope and its purpose. On Wednesday, Trump doubled down on the threat posed by the migrants who are still weeks away and said he'd be sending many more troops to the border. Our military is being mobilized at the southern border, the president tweeted. Many more troops coming. We will not let these caravans, which are also made up of some very bad thugs and gang members, into the U.S. Our border is sacred must come in legally. Turn around, he said. Defenders of the deployment argue Trump is making a sensible short-term decision. But Spohr noted that while the military could provide a fast, effective response option in his view, the president should not lean on those troops for more than two or three months. U.S. troops will join over 2,000 National Guardsmen who are already at the border, meaning upwards of 7,000 American forces will be mobilized to stop Central American migrants that are still some 900 miles away from the border and weeks away from arriving in the U.S. According to General Terence O'Shaughnessy, this caravan is different from what we've seen in the past, he said, referring to the migrant group making its way north to seek asylum and arguing that its size, approximately 3,500 people as of now, presented security challenges. Another U.S. defense official said there are approximately 2,000 additional U.S. troops that have been identified as a reserve force and could be sent to the border should the need arise. So is this a political ploy? Despite Trump's unsubstantiated claim that the group of Central Americans includes gang members and some very bad people, most of the migrants are reportedly indicated that they plan to follow legal procedures and apply for asylum once they arrive at the border. Best stop complaining or Trump will send 15,000 troops to the border. President Trump said Wednesday that he would deploy as many as 15,000 military personnel to the border with Mexico in response to caravans of Central American migrants making their way northward, doubling the figure Pentagon officials have announced would be operating there. Furthermore, Trump plans to implement an executive order to remove the right to citizenship for babies of non-citizens and unauthorized immigrants born on U.S. soil. Trump said that since Obama could enact the DACA plan by executive order, that Trump could enact this law by executive order. The Trump administration has railed against Obama for using an executive order to implement DACA, which protects unauthorized immigrants who came to the U.S. as children from deportation, calling it unconstitutional and working to overturn it. But now Trump is using it in defense of his own planned order. Most scholars believe such a move would require a constitutional amendment, not executive order, to change birthright citizenship. 
It is no coincidence that the U.S. and Israel are wrangling with a similar issue, citizenship. People that many view as riffraff are trying to cross en masse into the United States. People that many view as riffraff want citizenship in Israel too. It all depends on one's definition of riffraff. President Trump wants to enact a new law by executive order to keep people out of the U.S. while Israel's recent nation-state law creates the same rejection for those who want citizenship in Israel. Trump upholds Israel's nation-state law by not speaking against it. President Trump and Prime Minister Netanyahu are on parallel tracks regarding citizenship. In Israel, the citizenship issue is between Jews and non-Jews. In America, the citizenship issue is much broader, but the cause is the same, disobedience to God. His people are told to accept strangers and to have one law that governs all. America used to do that. People arrived en masse to her shores, but they all knew they needed to conform to the law of the land. That changed. People of other cultures began to arrive refusing to speak English or be assimilated into the American culture, but desiring its many benefits. This new paradigm became the status quo. This new status quo began to weigh heavily on U.S. coffers. Now, Trump wants to reverse this trend. Israel used to accept people from anywhere, even non-Jews. Anyone with a desire to help build the Zionist state was welcome. That changed with the increase of people returning to the land who were non-Jews. This new status quo began to weigh heavily on Orthodox Jews who wanted to preserve their orthodoxy. Non-Jewish and mostly Christian migrants along with the Palestinian non-Jewish population became a threat to the Jewish Orthodox culture. Thus came the Jewish nation-state law to protect against embracing the strangers and governing them under one biblical law. Let's face it. The West is where the House of Israel migrated to after Jewish Christopher Columbus opened the way, unbeknown to him, to his House of Israel brethren. Always in Scripture, the House of Judah leads the way to freedom for the other tribes. In 1492, the two houses were expanding across the globe, being scattered to the unnamed places Yahweh said he will regather them from. Global expansion is now in reverse. People are returning to the land of Israel, but the Jews have put a stop to citizenship for all who are non-Jews. The sister house, the house of Israel, is doing the same. People want into both countries, but these are people that both countries want to keep out, albeit for different reasons. It appears that the open arms of both Israel and America 
are becoming folded arms on the chest. The solutions of the United States and Israel will never work because they do not live according to the laws of Moses regarding strangers. Yahweh designed his kingdom to allow people into his land and among his people wherever they might be located on the earth. The laws of Moses are designed to show people such blessedness that they will want to join and become citizens of the kingdom. How does that work? Well, strangers will see Yahweh's kingdom in action. Then comes the heart change toward the God of Israel that causes repentance and brings increase to the righteous population. Neither the house of Judah or the house of Israel in America follow the law of Moses. People with bad intent want into both countries and the legislators act unrighteously toward them rather than return to the precepts of God's law regarding righteousness. Both Israel and America's self-righteousness will destroy them because they are both becoming exclusionary rather than inclusive to help the Goyim, the nations, become Ger, converts to Yahweh's righteous nation and to becoming Hebrews. So, what does this have to do with birthright citizenship? The Torah does not allow for birthright citizenship. A Ger, a stranger, may be born within the borders but citizenship in the commonwealth of Israel, uh, that's Apostle Paul's term for Israel, requires the stranger to obey the laws of the land, after which he must be circumcised to partake of the annual renewal of citizenship, also known as Pesach or Passover. The stranger is an equal member in Yahweh's doctrine. President Trump and Prime Minister Netanyahu are trying to regulate citizenship in their respective countries the wrong way for the wrong reasons. May Yahweh's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven so that all people, no matter who they are, will come to his kingdom and be loved and cared for equally with all citizens of the kingdom. That's it for this Beast Watch News update. This is Kimberly Rogers Brown signing off. Click over to BeastWatchNews.com for full comprehensive coverage of all the headlines fulfilling end of days Bible prophecy.